0: Welcome to the online teaching ministry of Pastor Rob Ginter and Farmdale Baptist Church. For more content, visit us online at farmdalebaptist.com. Good morning. It's good to be with you all this fine morning. Turn to Acts chapter 14 if you have your Bibles with you. Acts chapter 14, we will finish up where we were last week walking verse by verse through the scriptures now about halfway through the book of acts i read the story of a leader who was almost completely alone in his final hours he faced death without a company that swore allegiance to this leader uh, most of his closest and trusted friends had abandoned him at this point, though they swore allegiance to him previously. Some fled, some betrayed him. The world scorned this leader. Most everybody except for this one disciple of his. This one disciple of this individual. This disciple would remain faithful to death, following the leader to the grave. His mind was fully committed His will was set on the leader's agenda. He was sold out as a disciple of this leader. His heart was thrilled by the intimacy of the relationship with this teacher that he had. He was in awe of this man that he viewed as a king. Humbled to be included in his inner circle was this disciple. The disciple wrote of an early encounter with a leader like this, and I quote, Great joy. He greets me like an old friend and looks after me. How I love him. Then he speaks. How small am I? The disciple's words continue. When he speaks, all resistance breaks down before the magical effect of his words. One can only be his friend or his enemy. He divides the hot from the cold, but lukewarmness he spits out of his mouth. The disciple is famous, but not as famous as his leader. Before his death, he said of himself and his leader, we shall go down as the greatest statesman in history or the greatest criminals. Who is this disciple's name? You probably haven't heard of him. His name is Joseph Goebbels. You probably heard of his leader, Adolf Hitler. He's pretty famous. While others deserted Hitler, Goebbels followed him literally to the grave. He spent his last days alongside him in Hitler's secure bunker. When Hitler committed suicide, Goebbels and his wife uh, followed him shortly after they killed their six kids. I say this that there is a kind of discipleship that happens in this world. There, is, there are leaders, there are followers, there are teachers, there are disciples of their teachers. Now, discipleship happens in the world. It certainly does. The question is, how much of it really happens in the church? How much? Because there is a kind of discipleship that is deadly. There is. Many people know, and it's even crept into the church, we live among people who are disciples, followers, learners of their culture. Meanwhile, we, my friends, are not called to make disciples or learners of our culture but to make disciples of someone who was alive, who died, and he rose again. That is our responsibility. So what happens here in Acts chapter 14 is the, the, the apostles come back, Paul calling them that, Paul and Barnabas are headed back at the end of their first missionary journey, and we see this focus in their life of making disciples so at the end here it says they were commended to the grace of god for the work that they had fulfilled verse 27 says when they arrived and gathered the church together they declared all that god had done with them and how they had opened the door of faith to the gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples so what's happening here? Uh, is what we pick up on last week. To fulfill the work that we had been given by God, we must be messengers of his grace, mirrors of his glory, and we must be makers of disciples to endure. Right? To fulfill this work that we've been given, we must be makers of disciples. That is our task. When I say our task, I don't mean mine and Pastor Jonathan and Brian and like, I mean our task, our task. So what we see in the end of this, uh, verses 19 through the end of the chapter, is three characteristics of the disciple making that ought to be happening in the church. Three characteristics of that. First characteristic is that we, he has made us makers of disciples to fulfill his work. Those disciples, they are who are, or whom, whichever, who knows, right? Who really knows? Who are gospel formed. Who are gospel formed. Now, according to verse 21, they preached the gospel and made many disciples. So we continue to see what God is doing. Um, we see that God had made them messengers of his grace. They mirrored the glory of God, and now they make disciples of the Lord Jesus. And the the, the passage says that they... Um, They declared all that God had done with them. That's what they did to these disciples. So verse 21, how did they do that? In the gospel, they preached and made many disciples. I hope you see the correlation here. First, the gospel goes in. Let's do some discipleship math here. Um, You didn't know there'd be math. Don't worry, I'm not, not that good at it. The first part of the equation is that the gospel goes in. And the second, the disciples come out. I don't know, really, that's not really math. I don't know why I said that. But anyway, the gospel goes in and disciples come out. There's no other way to make disciples than preaching the gospel or the good news about a risen Jesus. So, what does that mean? That building hype, polished entertainment, and providing programs. Are not what makes disciples. That's not what makes disciples, right? I can't stand a hype man like Billy Mays. He's selling this stuff up here, and he's like, This is gonna be the best service you've ever had. And then you come and you're disappointed because that that was a lie. Oh, wait, come next week. It's it's gonna blow your mind, and you're like, it was okay. You know, that so I can't stand a hype man, but. Because it doesn't make disciples. What makes disciples? The gospel. The gospel. The gospel makes disciples. So that means drawing crowds. Don't make disciples. Paul and Barnabas show the only way to make disciples. proclaiming the gospel of what Jesus did to save sinners. That's what they did. So yes, every week, by God's grace, there's going to be someone up here. It'll be me most of the time, so either praise the Lord or sorry about that, whichever. Um, And the gospel will be preached behind this pulpit, just like Paul preached the gospel. But we also read this in the book of Colossians, what he said. He tells the church at Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Do you see that each other thing going on in the verse, right? Like we ought to be teaching and encouraging and having spirit, spiritually meaningful conversations with each other in the church. It's not like there's a guy with a big mouth and a bunch of people with ears and that's it. No, we all have mouths. We all have ears. And Colossians 3.16 says that we ought to admonish one another. Teach one another. That's what we, we should do. What we're doing is we're having those spiritually meaningful conversations with each other over coffee, over dinner, over whatever. On the way out, on the way in, through the week. In each other's homes, pointing to one another to how what Christ has done and accomplished applies in our situations, both the news of the gospel and application of the gospel in each other's lives. That's what we ought to do. So you individually can proclaim the gospel and make disciples. And if you are obedient to Jesus' commission, you will. And once we tell them the gospel, what we're we're seeing here right, in the book of Acts is not just gospel preaching and gospel talking, but here's how it works for them and ought to work for us. You tell someone the gospel, they become a Christian. You then have the responsibility of teaching them things that they don't know. If you're walking down the sidewalk on your way to the grocery store and there was a baby lying in a blanket, you'd walk by, you glance down, and because you're not the devil, you wouldn't go, it's not my baby. And you'd go on and get some eggs. No, right? Like, there's a baby, there's a sidewalk, those two don't match, shouldn't be. Because it's a baby. you don't. Because you're not the devil, you're not going to walk by the baby and go, well, it's someone's responsibility to get that baby off the sidewalk. I'm going to go on. Because you're not the devil, you won't do that. But what will you do? You will see to it that that baby has everything it needs. Right? That, that someone has responsibility for that baby, that that baby doesn't remain on the sidewalk, That's what you would do. You would somehow provide for it. Now, that's a silly example, the kind that preachers tell. Don't you hate those? But anyway, the thing is, when we, like our kids, right, Or, or our friends, when we tell the gospel to someone, God makes them born again. It's our responsibility to make sure that they're taught to follow Jesus. So, it's important to understand when the gospel goes into their ears, out from out of our mouth, it's going to produce people who need discipling. We should expect for it to happen. We should expect for it to happen when the gospel goes out. Romans 1.16, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation. So we should be expecting the gospel, God's power in the gospel to save people. And when it does, we have a responsibility for those people that are saved. So who are we speaking the gospel to? And are we taking responsibility for them? Because we see here in this text Not only has God made us makers of disciples who are gospel formed, but who grow, who grow. You see that in verses 21 and 22, because Paul and Barnabas find themselves in verse 20 after Paul attempted murder by other people being stoned to death. Uh, Direct your attention to verse 21. Here's what Luke says. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. Let me tell you what's amazing in this verse. Their ascending church is Syrian Antioch, if you remember a few chapters back, over in the east. And they are at Derby. It's not in Louisville. It's in the east. And so here's what happens. They were closer to home than they've ever been on this mission trip. They were closer to home. However, there was an easy route in front of them. But what did they do? They chose to retrace their footsteps and revisit all the churches they established. On their journey to strengthen the souls of the disciples, So that's what those towns show us in verse 21 is that they've circled back around to go back to people that they've preached the gospel to that became Christians to strengthen them. That's what it tells us. Likewise for us, there is an easy way forward with no resistance. And it's for you to mind your own business and to stay out of other people's lives it's an easy way to go forward. But let me tell you about a different way. And it's a less convenient way. It's a messy way. And it just so happens to be a biblical faithful way and the only way for us. It's messy. It's inconvenient. But it's very faithful to Paul and Barnabas's example. And here's what that is. That you and I, would be responsible for making disciples. So the gospel goes in, the, the, the Christian comes out, and the, God made the disciple by grace through faith in Christ, and now the church has the responsibility to train that person and for them to grow, for them to grow. Now, in, in, in college, I, I, there was a terrible campus ministry near us and they do a skit and all this stuff. And then somebody would come up and apologize for Christians. There wasn't like the gospel going forth. They're like, Christians are really mean guys. And we're really sorry about that. Who wants to close in prayer? We got pizza downstairs. So that was basically what they did. But let me apologize to you. I am sorry that the church culture is such that you become a Christian And we assume that you know everything. We don't look like someone who just became a Christian as a baby on a sidewalk. They'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. They'll get it somehow. They'll go on. So I'm sorry, because it happened to me. It probably happened to you, right? That like you became a Christian, you're going to the church. And they just assume that you know everything. And I'm sorry that, it's, that, that it's, it's like that. So you go there for years and you don't know some stuff. And by that point, you're embarrassed to ask anybody. Because you're supposed to know it. What are, what's wrong with you? Well, there's nothing wrong with you. You've just never been discipled. You've never been taught. So what we see here uh, is a weakness in the church culture. We all want to be there in the waiting room for the baby. But nobody wants to volunteer to change diapers. So that's one of my things. Some of the young guys in this church, they figured out that I do that. I carry around our new baby and I volunteer them to change diapers. Teenagers think that's terrible. That's why I do it. I think it's hilarious. I go, hey, you just had a, we got a, a diaper over here. It's full. Would you, would you mind? So I volunteer them. It's one of the funny, quirky things I do. I hope, uh, I hope people that I don't, don't do that to love that about me, you know, but, but there's a truth in that, that everybody wants to be there when the baby's born But nobody wants to change his diaper after it's over. You know, like nobody wants to wipe snotty noses. It's not very glamorous to work in the nursery. Like they're cute for a minute. You know, you hold them. Then they start fighting you. (laughs) You know, they start fighting you. And then, then they start walking and then they start falling on stuff. And you're like, wow, this kid's got bruises all over the place. What's going on? They're walking, and that's it. They just walk into things, you know. Like our little, our, our little boy's close to the walking age, and he just he will headbutt anything, you know. Like he headbutted this basketball right here, and he immediately regretted it. But it is our responsibility in the church not just to be there when someone's born again in the nursery, but to to be there when their nose runs, when their heart breaks, when they are struggling, when they don't know, when they need to be taught, when they need to grow, when they don't know how to pray, they need to be taught to pray, when they have questions about their Bible or they don't know how to get a Bible routine, We, we need to do that. It's our responsibility to grow disciples in the church. we failed countless people who've responded to the gospel and we have not followed up with. And I'm sorry about that as well. But the example that we see in the scriptures here is of follow-up. That's what's happening here in verse 21. He's going back, going back. Oh, by the way. They tried to kill him back yonder, as they say in Moorhead. They tried to kill him. So he's going back to great risk of himself to go back to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch. He's going those places. It's hard for him to do that. It's inconvenient for him to do that. But he's assuming responsibility for the people that he's preached the gospel to. And you know what? We need to do that as well. We need to do that instead of assuming that they'll automatically understand the the nature of what happened to them. It's our responsibility to teach them how to follow Jesus, how to plug into the church, serve, give, be obedient to his commands. Because the truth is, people probably don't know. And it's awkward to ask questions about stuff you don't know. Particularly for us gentlemen. I'll speak on our behalf. If I don't know, I'm probably not going to ask you. I'm just going to assume like I do. You know what I mean? Cuz it's cuz I don't want to I don't want I don't want to appear to be weak or or dumb. Don't do so hot at that second one. <laughs> but we we don't want to seem like that. Um so we don't ask if we don't know, we just pretend. Meanwhile, we don't know how to love our wife. We don't know how to, to raise our kids to love Jesus. And we won't ask anybody. And we've fallen into egregious sin that nobody warned us about. We may be on our whatever number of marriage at that point. Our reputation is, on, is gone at that point. Meanwhile, church has been all about who we can get to come sit in a room on a Sunday, as opposed to how many people are being trained to follow Jesus Monday through Saturday. That's the problem. But instead, Paul's example here, it ought to be like the law that was passed many years ago when I was in school called No Child Left Behind. Sounds really great. Um, They tried to close the gap for students that were struggling. In the church, according to Paul and Barnabas' example, the same. He returned, strengthened the soul of disciples. So what is the biblical goal for us? No Christian left behind. None of them. None of them. Everybody who professes Christ learns how to follow him and are con- encouraged to continue in the faith. That's what it ought to be. But today, there are many people in the church who were never encouraged to continue. And they maybe been in the church for 15 years. But because you weren't discipled, you've been, you've been in it 15 years and you've got three years of experience. You've been in it for 15 years and you've got three years of experience. Three years of growth scattered over 15 the writer of Hebrew puts the verdict of his audience like this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The writer's talking about the stunted growth of believers. Stunted growth of believers, right? That, that you ought, you've been a Christian long enough to be able to show somebody else how to be one, how to do that, but you don't know. So they, we should be strengthened, we should grow, but maybe we don't. Heard one pastor, and you, you all, many of you probably heard this, but uh, that this is particularly bad when it comes to men. Here we go. That you should be able to walk up to any man who's in the church, who's been a Christian for longer than a year, and say, Sir, teach me how to follow Jesus. Now, in our church culture, you go up to a guy, and he's not wearing a suit. You go up to a guy, and you say, teach me how to follow Jesus. They'd say, well, son, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. But if you transfer that mindset to anything other than the church, it's ridiculous. You go up to a guy who's been a mechanic for longer than a minute, or he's a construction worker. A young guy comes up and says, teach me how to do what you do. And the guy responds, I'm not a trainer. I don't, I, I've been working here for 10 years, and I don't know what I'm doing. If that happens, the people from the state are laughing. I don't know why. I just All the state workers are laughing. I have no idea. Y'all know why? I don't know why they're laughing. Y'all know why they're laughing? I don't know why they're laughing. You go up to them, and, they've been there and they say, hey, I'm, I've been here 10 years, and I don't have any idea what's going on. Well, then what do we ask next? We say, well, who are you kin to? Because you had to be kin to somebody to keep this job and not know what you're doing on it. You're kin to somebody around here. Is your last name the same as governor, president, somebody? What, what kind of hook or connection you got? Because you don't know what you're doing and can't teach me. So how do you keep getting your paycheck? How do you do that? Well, we know that's silly. We know that's silly. You go to somebody who's been on a job for any minute, longer than a minute, you go to them and you say, teach me to do what you do. They say, okay, this is it. This is how you do it. But only in the church could somebody be here for so many years and go, oh, I don't know. I don't know anything. Son, you might want to go get the guy with the Bible under his arm. So I'm just an average guy. When the truth of the scriptures is that he gave them apostles, uh, and he, he gave them the elders to equip the saints, apostles, prophets, elders, shepherds, teachers. There we go. Excuse me. It got caught. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Right? So you got uh, equippers. Apostles, they're all too old to be alive now. So prophecy, here we are in the scriptures. So what do we have left? Evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Those people equip saints for what? Work. The work the work of ministry so you got equippers and you got workers the equippers only work one day a week you ever heard that one only an hour on sunday that's it now you got the equippers and you got the workers so that means someone becomes a christian they should be able to go to one of these workers right who've been equipped and go show me what to do show me what to do How do you structure your day? Like, how do you deal with prayer? How do you find time for the scriptures? How do you lead your wife? How do you disciple your kids? How do you do that? I'm new. I'm new here. I don't know. The workers who have been equipped ought to know and be able to do it. See, that's what Paul is doing here. He's going back, teaching, strengthening. We need to affirm right now that we're going to be these kind of people, that we will follow Jesus in such a way as to begin pouring into someone else who hasn't followed Jesus as long as we have. A couple steps ahead, one step ahead, It's all it takes. Just be a little bit further on down the line. That's all it takes. It takes. And we need to take care of young Christians and not make them feel stupid for not knowing things. Not knowing things. Men, we need to take spiritual responsibility for our families to lead our wives and train our kids. So that is who the book starts and stops with. God has given us the responsibility as the head of households. That's not just something you fill out on the taxes, but it's a responsibility that we take over the lives and the souls of people. now, He's given us this responsibility. We can't farm it out to Sunday school teachers and pastors. We can't farm it out to the equippers to always be doing the training, always be doing the teaching. Now, the equippers are great. The evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, they are great people. I, I like them. I'm, I'm a fan. Let's just say I'm a fan. But we cannot farm out the raising of our kids and the encouraging of our wives to someone else we can't do it there's no that's not what a farm that's not worth there's not a farm system for that so paul not only made disciples and encouraged them to grow but look at verse 23 and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the lord in whom they had believed so God has made us makers of disciples to fulfill his work, who are gospel-formed, who grow, and not only that, who raise up elders. What are we talking about here? Who raise up old people. That's not what that means. Who raise up Mormons. No, they use that word a lot, but no, that's not what this is. That's, That's not what this is. So what happens here in verse 23 is, so Paul is, pre. let's go back to our supply line, our math, whatever you want to call it. The gospel goes in, disciples come out, disciples are then poured into or taught, and those disciples grow in that place. And then it could just be buckwild chaos if if we stopped right there. Bunch of disciples, bunch of young Christians growing and people teaching them stuff. So what's Paul do in verse 23 is they appoint elders, plural, right? Look, look down at verse 23, plural, elders, multiple elders, for them in every church with prayer and fasting. They committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. So what's happening here? There's disciples that are made and a structure that's built to propagate disciple making. There's people who are put in charge multiple people to oversee the making of the disciples. So that means when the gospel goes in and they grow up, they they are people who God, men who God call to the position of elder. So what's happening here? Church planting. That's what this is. That's what this is. This is church planting. Mult- elders, the same word. You're like, elders, that sounds Mormon. It's not. It's another word in the scriptures for pastor. There's elders, pastors, shepherds, overseers. In the scriptures, all of those names, and nowadays there's like denominational slants that come come with these, Right? But all of those words mean the very same thing. In our church, we call them pastors. We have currently two. So, uh, Lord willing, the Lord will appoint more. More. Um, So, what happens is that they raise up elders in every church. So, that's what's, what's happened in this growth process. That's what a healthy church looks like. I mentioned farm system earlier. If, so how, what is the ideal healthy church? If the pastor dies, leaves, goes to another place, where should they get his replacement? The internet. That's a joke, not the internet. I just, that's a joke. So what do we see from the verse is that they, they appointed pastors in the church. So the church ought to be the farm system for itself to feed itself. So what, what am I doing? I'm preaching and Lord willing, I die in Frankfurt. Many, many Many, or or in, or in a foreign land that I shouldn't have been in to start with, with an explosion behind me as I'm walking slowly in slow motion, holding my wife's hand. Either way, who should be the next pastor of the church? One of our sons. One of our sons. One of our sons should do that because what what are we doing here we are raising up disciples and setting them within a structure and the church is meant to feed herself because people have real babies not just spiritual babies like real babies and those babies need to grow up and be taught to love the lord and god will call them to pastor the church So what does a healthy church look like? A healthy church feeds itself with pastors. It feeds itself. And we're not talking about the office of deacon, as we see. We have a lovely group of deacons in this congregation. and But we see in Acts chapter 6 that these are the men who are the chief servants of the church. They lead us in the service of the church. These people that he's talking about here are not the lead servants who show us how to serve. They're talking about elders who administrate and oversee the direction of the church. That's spread throughout all of the scriptures and the decision-making office of the church. Hence why there should be more than one of them. I don't trust me that much, and you shouldn't either to be the only decision-making person in the church. In fact, wouldn't it be better? The more, the merrier. And the more, the faithfuler. I don't think, is that a, I don't know. More, the faithfuler. So the goal of our church should be disciples that are made with such seriousness that we have a plurality of elders more so in our congregation, because the people have been discipled so well. So well. That's how the biblical model is right here in this passage. So after doing all of this, look at verse 26. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So only after making disciples could verse 26 happen right? Commend. What did they do? They made disciples. Grace of God. They were committed to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. So what was the work? Disciple making. That was the work. Jesus gave us that job in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. A lot of conviction on that second row. I pray that his daddy disciples him uh, quite well. And what, is, what does his discipleship look like there in Matthew chapter 28? Jesus says teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age. Here in Acts at the beginning he said and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea Samaria to the othermost parts of the earth. So what is this commission and this witnessing all about? The making of disciples. The making of disciples. There's a potential and a scary potential that some of us are not doing the one thing that he commanded us to do. to Spend your life following Jesus and helping others follow him. It's very simple. It's not easy. Very simple. Here's a possibility as to why. Why might you not be intentionally engaged in the training of other people? Why? Why is that possible? Well, it could be that this opens your eyes to it. And you come get me and you respond after this and you say, Hey, Rob, I, I want you to pair me up with someone who needs to be discipled." I'd love to start meeting for coffee with them and talking to them about how I structure my day, how I read my Bible, how I pray, how, I- how do you deal with kids? How do you deal with grandkids? Maybe maybe this, you see the pattern, you see what they did, how they turned around, how they went back, and you want to do that here and you come get me afterwards or you get me back there and we talk about that. We plug you in. We matchmake. Me and Pastor Jonathan, we matchmake between someone who should be discipling and someone who needs to be discipled. We, we do that. Maybe you respond after this, here in a minute, and you do that. You call or you text me this week, somehow we get that going. But here's why you might not want to do that. Potentially because you're not a disciple yourself. Maybe you've been on the job, so to speak, in the church for all of these years and you don't really know anything because you're not a Christian. That is a real possibility. That might be why. Because I got a a baby who bumped his head on the second row a second ago. And uh, I don't mean to talk down about him, but he bumped his head because he can't really walk yet. That's okay. Why is that okay? He's a baby. When he gets 16 years old, if he's bumping his head on the pew because he can't sit up, can't walk, you can bet that my wife was is responsible enough, right? I'm, that my wife is responsible enough to go call a doctor long before then. I'm not speaking of her husband. He's not that great quality, but like she'll point that out to somebody. She's smart enough to point that out to somebody that my baby is not meeting the milestones that he should be meeting. So there's something wrong with him, right? She can do that. She would do that if that happened. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. He can only bench press his body weight right now. But later, if it stays like that, you know, you see, it, it's not cute. If he grows bigger and he doesn't figure more stuff out, there's something wrong. So if that's you and you're, you, you, you've you had time spent but not grown, it could be that you're not a Christian. And you don't want to face Jesus on Judgment Day and tell him how much time you spent in your church in the church without giving your life to eternal things. You don't want to do that. The good news is, is that God can save you right now. And you go, but after all that time spent, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed for somebody to, to, to know. Best be embarrassed now than damned later. You best be embarrassed right now than damned later for eternity. You see, God is holy and righteous and just, and you cannot be in his presence because you are not. But you know what he did? God loved the world, and he gave his only son, Jesus, who lived the perfect life and died on the cross for your sins. He didn't just stay in the grave. He rose on the third day victorious over life, hell, death, and everything and everyone in between. And he commands that you turn from living your life the way you want to to following him, to following his his example, to following him personally, being directed by him. That's what he did. That is what you are to live your life to. The biblical vision for Farmdale Baptist Church is everyone following Jesus and taking someone along with you in that process. doesn't matter your situation, how old you are, you can be obedient to these scriptures you can. If you're a Christian, you need to respond, particularly by getting in the game of this mission. It's not just to preach the gospel. The gospel is good, but growing people in the gospel, that is what you're called to do. So if you haven't been discipled, you need to be discipled you come get me and you say, I want somebody to to teach me this stuff. I, I don't, I'm tired of not knowing. I'm tired of not living my life like I, like I could, right? I'm wasting time and, and energy and I don't want to waste it anymore. I want to be discipled. You come get me over there or back there. We'll talk. But if you, you're tired of seeing other people flounder in ignorance and you want to be a loving support system to Train someone in following Jesus. You need to come get me as well. And, and above all, if you're not a Christian, we need to we need to talk. You need to turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus. Whoever believes in Him will not perish, but God will give him eternal life with Him forever. This starts now, my friends. It's now with Him now. So let's all respond, repent for not discipling, repent of our sin. And follow Jesus closer together. Let's do it. Father, thank you so much for your scriptures. Please create in us disciple makers in this place. Please train us, teach us, and encourage us that we can be obedient to this. Please help us in this. Father, we do ask that you would focus us on the mission of making disciples and that we wouldn't be okay with other people not knowing and not growing, but we would take responsibility for the people in our church. Please do this for us.